Welcome to the Northeast Christian Podcast. We're so excited that you've decided to check out our weekly messages. We hope that you're challenged and inspired by what you're hearing today. We'd love to have you join us this weekend at one of our campuses or online at northeast.live. For more information on Northeast, visit us at necchurch.org. If you love the Northeast podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. Last week, Terrence did a great job of kicking off our new series, Finding Peace in an Anxious World. Finding peace in an anxious world. Relevant? Relevant. You already know. <laughs> the, the goal of this series each week is, uh, is to equip you, church, is to equip you with the spiritual truths and the spiritual resources Uh, to help you beat back the anxiety of life that we're all feeling and that gets intensified during the holiday seasons. A statistic show that we are uh, living in an anxious world at historic levels in our society right now. 27.3% of American adults have anxiety problems. 41.7% of young adults, that's the age 18 to 29, suffer from anxiety. And when I read those statistics, I'm just heartbroken. It's 41.7%. It shouldn't be that way, right? Like why? Why are we there? We are living in one of the wealthiest nations ever. You think we wouldn't be so anxious, right? I got heated seats in my car. (laughs) Praise God for those this week. but, But you see, like daily, daily, luxuries, Things that would be considered luxuries by the previous generation and people all over the world. Luxuries get reclassified as necessities in our wealthy nation. For a few of us, we have very little physical need. We're, we're, we're doing good. We're also free. I mean, here we are worshiping. This is a f- very free nation com- compared to the world. Compa- like this is, this is a free, we can... We can come worship together. You can cross over state lines. You can take your phone out and film a video of you cussing out your uh, elected leaders, the leaders of the government, and ain't nothing gonna happen to you. Do what you want, right? There are are over 100 different gender identities to choose from in our nation that are recognized. And don't laugh, I don't say that facetiously. I say that to show you just how free we are. This is a free, free place. We also have an incredible amount of technology. Medical science is mind-blowing. Life expectancies grow. Because of that, AI, we have only scratched the surface of AI, right? I could go on. We have so much at our fingertips, don't we? So much money so much comfort, so much choice, so much tech, so much health, and yet we are more anxious than ever. Hmm. Maybe we're looking in the wrong places. And enter stage right, Christmas. The most wonderful time of the year. (laughs) Christmas. The season in which all of our anxiety just sort of melts away, right? (laughs) Nope. Sadly, it gets worse. 
during this time of year. Uh, The National Alliance of Mental Illness calls it, play on words here, the most difficult time of year. Uh, In 2014, they found that 64% of people with mental illness say the holidays make their conditions worse. A 2021 survey showed three in five Americans feel their mental health is negatively impacted by the holidays. Wow. So maybe, just maybe, putting up your tree before Thanksgiving ain't the answer. Yes, see that hand in the back, go ahead. Um, Wait, Tyler, you just said that we're starting a Christmas series before Thanksgiving. You're the hypocrite. Okay. I'll take that. It's fair. Thank you for pointing that out. I'm not happy about it. I just think Thanksgiving deserves a minute. That's all I'm saying. Food, family, football, that's a good holiday. You don't even have to go buy gifts you don't need with money you don't have for people that you don't like. It's a good holiday. (laughs) See that other hand in the back, go ahead. Tyler, Mm, I don't know who needs to hear this, but the turkey tastes the same with the tree up. Mm. (laughs) Maybe better. Mm. You seen this meme? Have you seen this meme? Okay. Okay, Stephanie, you wanna do this, Emily? All right, let's, let's, let's do this. There, there are two reasons why we celebrate Christmas early, okay? And it is not, so, uh, not, not because you're so full of Christmas cheer or because you love Jesus so much. Reason number one is, well, because retailers want you to celebrate it early. That's why. Corporate America is incentivized to magnify this season because it revolves around radical consumerism and American opulence, both of which put money from their pockets or into their pockets out of your pockets. They are incentivized by greed to make this season as big as possible and as long as possible. That's why this year in October, when you were going through the seasonal merch aisle, you saw zombie masks and Santa hats already. My kids were confused. They're like, dad, how are we supposed to to decorate the front yard this Halloween with spider webs or with Frosty? So slow down, Veronica. It's not because you love Jesus so much. It's because you're being discipled by Target, okay? They have defeated Thanksgiving. Black Friday isn't even a thing anymore. You notice this is kind of like disappeared to the background. All hell Christmas, the new Labor Day. I'm preaching a sermon right now that I didn't plan on preaching this morning, but somebody needs a word from the Lord, okay? So so just hear them, hear them. Now, Now, this is... That's the first reason you celebrate Christmas early. Here's the second one. This one's more, more serious and to the point of the message today. Focus, y'all. Focus. First reason you celebrate is because retailers tell you to. Jessica. But, <laughs> but here's reason number two. We rush to Christmas because we're grasping for something we don't have. We're grasping for joy to the world. We're grasping for peace on earth. We're grasping for Christmas wonder. Now, reality check, there is nothing magical about December 25th. Jesus was probably born in September. You know that, right? There's nothing magical about one of the coldest and darkest days of the year. So if you're putting some sort of transcendent, redemptive pressure on December 25th, 
to somehow save you from the pain, I promise you it is not going to live up to it and you're just gonna be another casualty to holiday disappointment and holiday anxiety. The only thing that makes this season truly magical is if what we believe about Jesus is true. That's it. If the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace was actually born and then made a way for our rescue and then today sits on the cosmic throne of the universe and the government rests on his shoulders and his peace and his authority will extend into the future without end. If that is true, well then, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And maybe just maybe this season does have something to offer an anxious world. But you gotta invite Jesus in, you got to. And that's what this series is about. We gotta let Christmas be about Christ. We have to invite the Prince of Peace to invade our hearts with light, with love, with wonder, and then, and then healing can start. So last week, here, uh, Terrence started us off with hope over despair. It's a good place to start. Today, as Tamara just said, we're going to talk about confession. One of the key ways to relieve anxiety, find peace in an anxious world, is choosing confession over concealment. And I tell you what, buckle up, buttercup, because we're going there. All right, so it's going to be one of them sermons. Stand with me, please, stand with me. We're going to read the Bible. Uh, if you can't stand, that's okay. Put your heart in a place of reverent submission. Open your ears to the word of God. If you can stand, stand with me. We're going to read from John 2.23 all the way to John 3.21. A fan, fantastic little interaction here between, between Jesus and, and Nicodemus. Starting in verse 23, it says, Because of the many miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, uh, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature. Wow. No one needed to tell him what mankind is really like. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish teacher and yet you don't understand these things? Hmm. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven in return, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. 
John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light. Hmm. For their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Word of the Lord, you can be seated. Literally the red letters of Jesus, thanks be to God for every last word of his word. John 2 and 3. All right. Uh, so the passage we just read, John 2 and 3, it's a stunning, stunning passage. Because we get a little listen into a private conversation between two of the most respected religious leaders of the time. In this corner, we have Jesus, the messianic miracle worker who's stirring up a grassroots revolution behind him. And in this corner over here, we have Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee, which means uh, he, he was a, a popular level interpreter of the law, very respected by the Jewish people at the time. But he wasn't just a Pharisee. We know from scripture that he was also a part of the Sanhedrin. You ever heard of the Sanhedrin before? So the Sanhedrin was like the highest presidential advisory council that you could get in back then. After the exile, the high priest became not just the leader of the temple, but he also became the political leader, if you will, of the Jewish people. When the governing authorities came and they wanted to talk to the people of Judea, they'd go to the high priest. The high priest was in charge of, of church and state. He did the sacrifices and the parking tickets, all right? So, so he needed a group around him to help him out. That was the Sanhedrin. 70 leaders, some Pharisees, who had his back. And Nicodemus was one of them. Puts him in one of the highest, most inner circles for Jewish religious leaders. Now, what's interesting is when this high and holy leader comes face to face with the peasant revolutionary, it's the peasant, the Galilean. It's Jesus who does most of the talking, isn't it? And in this conversation, Jesus is going to make two critical points for us that I don't want you to miss today. First, Jesus makes a statement about human nature. This is your moment, note, note takers. He makes a statement about human nature. When he does, he actually identifies for us the source of basically all of our anxiety, pain, and emptiness. Second, at the same time, Jesus makes an invitation to metaphysical transformation. It is what he believes to be the only way to find lasting deliverance, the only way to find true peace, a metaphysical transformation that will change the inner nature of your heart and soul. Jesus is offering that and he's going to flesh that out for us in this passage. One and two, that's where we're going today. Let's start with the first one. First, he makes a statement about human nature. Okay, I think it is unfortunate that the chapter break comes between 2.25 and 3.1 because this little section that I read with, John 2.23 through 25, actually uh, introduces the conversation with Nicodemus, kind of sets the stage for you. Let me, let me read it to you again. Uh, 
Scripture says, uh, because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust him. Quick pause. Why did they begin to trust him? Why? 11 a.m. Come on, y'all done had coffee and maybe brunch. Because of the signs they'd done in the Passover celebration. All right, because of the miracles. So because of that, many began to trust him, but Jesus didn't trust them. Hmm. Because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. And bang, shot to the heart. Jesus didn't trust people's trust. Did you see it? Many began to trust him. He didn't trust them. Why? What does Jesus know about human nature that we don't? Well, he didn't trust their trust because they trusted him for the wrong reasons. They didn't trust Jesus yet for who he was. They trusted Jesus at this point for what he could give to them. The sign, the glory, the miraculous. Later, they'll want him to feed them. They want more miracles. Now, that leads us to a big point here. And this is Jesus' assessment of human nature. Human nature is not theocentric. We see that already. It's egocentric. They come to God for what God can give to them. Or let me say it to you in street talk. Our primary interest is self-interest. And that is true of Nicodemus. It's true of the crowd. It's true of this crowd as well. Now, I tell you, it is that, that self-interest concern for me, that is the source of most of our anxiety, pain, and emptiness. And if we could figure out a way to turn off the self-interest and turn on the God interest, healing would start. So, you know, in the ancient world, uh, the, the goal of religion was just to get the gods to do what you wanted them to or to leave you alone. They were vindictive. They were kind of crazy, unpredictable. So you'd, you worshiped them or did things or threw sacrifices in order to stay in their good graces. Divine manipulation, which, by the way, was selfish. And that's what Jesus is experiencing here. They want Jesus to give a miracle. They want Jesus to feed them. Today, we live in a culture that is totally different than that, but exactly the same. It's totally different in the fact that we are no longer an enchanted culture that looks to the gods for everything. We're a disenchanted one. A philosopher, a Canadian philosopher named Charles Taylor calls our society an imminent frame society because no longer do we go outside of the framework of the material world to find answers. We think that we can get them all inside of the framework of the material world. So we look to science. We look to technology. We think to ourselves, if I can just hack the science, then I can make my life good. So I got to eat the right amount of macros. You know, I got to take the right meds. I got to vote the right politician in. We got to build the right tech. And then we just need to leave one another alone to self-actualize. And everything will be good. Now, here's the thing. That's selfish too, isn't it? Whether you are engaged in the ancient pursuit of divine manipulation or the modern pursuit of self-actualization, either way, it shows us human nature. We are egocentric. It is about me. And scripture says that's the problem. If we were as obsessed with God as we were with ourselves, peace might begin to find us. If we would trust God's heart 
rather than follow your heart? If we'd find God's truth rather than make your own truth? If we would go God's way rather than making our own way, we might begin to heal. Now, on the tail end of that sort of like wrecking ball assessment of human nature, John then introduces us to Nicodemus. Poor guy. The passage is like, people are the worst. Let me introduce you to Nicodemus, all right? And, and Jesus, Jesus goes hard. John 3, verse 1, it says, there was a, name, a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark, don't miss it, after dark, he came to speak with Jesus. Now, if you read all the Gospel of John and the other Johannine literature for 2nd, 3rd John, if you read that, what you'll see is that John, our author here, likes to play on the theme of light and dark, good and evil. So when he says Nicodemus came after dark, this isn't just a timestamp, it's symbolic. It's emblematic of Nicodemus's character development at this point in the plot. Nicodemus is not a light guy, he's a dark guy. Nicodemus is not a good guy, at this moment he's a bad guy. At best, his motives are disingenuous. The most charitable reading of this passage is that Nicodemus had some level of curiosity in Jesus, but at this point he was too afraid of the PR ramifications of meeting him in the broad daylight. And oh, ooh, isn't that so 2023 of Nicodemus to have such PR awareness? No, for real. Have you ever noticed how aware we all are of our public image? our brand awareness. I'm not just talking about corporations or your seventh grader. I'm talking about you as well. All of us from middle school kids to Steph Curry to dad, we all have this, this awareness of the brand that we're building. You ever heard somebody say, oh, that's so on brand or that's so off brand for him. And they were just talking about their friend who lives down the road with 117 followers on Instagram. It's like brand, what? That's who we are. We carry around with us this subconscious burden. Mm. Of having to prove to the world what we're worth. It's thanks in large part to social media. So like Nicodemus, brand in mind, we only visit Jesus in the dark. We're standoffish on the controversial parts of his teaching. We're scared of call-out culture, scared of political tribes, scared of the online mob. We're scared of getting labeled by the fundies on the right or the fundies on the, on the left. We're scared that if our sin were found out, or even worse, our faith was found out, well, it would be the end of our influence. And that's Nico. That's Nicodemus here. And as the conversation develops, he takes, oh, this poor guy, he takes the L, man. Jesus lights him up. He says things to him like, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Oof. You are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. Oof. You don't even believe us. He says, and by the way, anyone who does not believe has already been judged. Oh, Jesus says, people love darkness more than light. Their actions were evil. Guess who's visiting him in the darkness? 
All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. Nicodemus, this ain't going well for you. I'm just saying. (laughs) And by the way, that should make us all shudder. Because if one of the most respected leaders and one of the most respected religious institutions is blind, inadequate, guilty, dark, and hypocritical in the eyes of Jesus, what are we? So look, I'm just gonna give it to you straight, all right? We gotta wrestle with Jesus's assessment of human nature here. There is darkness inside of every last one of us. Uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, maybe, Alexander S. uh, is a Russian Nobel laureate, historian. He wrote about the horrors of the Soviet gulag camps. I think he sums up Jesus's assessment here so well when he writes this. He says, if only it were so simple, if only they were evil people, somewhat insidiously committing evil deeds, and it was necessarily necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them, if only it were that easy, right? But then he writes this, he says, but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Hmm. So the fact is, Jesus has a theology of universal sin. And he talked about it with even the most religious people. You know, most people think Jesus' defining characteristic was niceness. Jesus is nice. Well, he was nice sometimes. He was the nicest sometimes, but he wasn't always nice. What do you think? Nico went home and was talking with his wife. His wife was like, how'd the conversation go with Jesus, honey? And he was like, oh, he was nice. No, he wasn't nice. Was he? He was honest. These were challenging words to hear from Jesus, though. A lot of people today want to say, you know, God accepts you just the way you are. Everyone is a child of God. That's not true. Yes, God loves you just the way you are. That's true. But so much so, he refuses to leave you that way. He'll take a meeting with you in the dark, but guess what? He'll start dragging you out of the dark and into the light. We see that here. Yes, certainly God loves everyone, but people are not by nature children of God. They are by nature children of wrath. That's scripture. See, what happens is, next slide here, we get the doctrine of the image of God confused with the doctrine of adoption. They're two different things. The doctrine of the image of God says that every human being is inherently and immeasurably valuable. You have value, infinite worth, just by the fact that you are a person created in God's image. But that doesn't mean you are a child of God. The doctrine of adoption, I'm just gonna read to you scripture here, John 1, 12. The doctrine of adoption is to all who believe in Jesus and accept Jesus, to them Jesus gives the right to become children of God. There's a choice involved here. And part of making that choice is admitting our own sinfulness. No one wants to admit their own sinfulness anymore though. Our culture has gone to such great lengths to erase sin from the conversation. Like we change the language around it. You know, it's not really a sin. If you turn the Bible this way or that, you know, you can see it's not a sin or it's just a mistake. It's not that, my bad, my bad, man. You know, how's the HR say it? You know, it's a growth opportunity. And all 
all that, all that serves to do is, is trivialize the seriousness of sin. Then we'll downplay it. You know, it's not that big of a deal. There are worse things. Then we'll blame it. Very victimized culture we live in. There is such a thing as victims, by the way, but we live in a very victimized culture where everything wrong with our life is somebody else's fault. It's my mommy and daddy's fault. It's the church's fault. Like everybody's got a church hurt story. It's the government's fault. It's, you know, you fill in the blank. Here, here's the thing, sin is systemic, it is. It's in all the systems. It's in the family system. It's in the governmental system. It's in your church, it's in your pastors. It's in your parents. Your parents screwed you up a little, some of you a lot. Some of you are like, you don't even know, I don't. <laughs> They're sinners, but so are you. So in the words of the great prophet, Dr. Phil, you got one finger pointed at them, but three pointed right back at you. It's a word from the Lord right there. Now here's the deal, we laugh, but this is so serious because when we accept these depersonalized explanations for sin, what happens is we don't do anything about our sin. And so it festers. It locks us in to bad actions and these bad actions turn into bad habits and these bad habits eventually become bad lives. It locks us into spending habits that make us stressed, greedy, or ungrateful. It locks us into viewing habits that warp our view of sex or numb us to violence or just steal our sleep because we're up all night binging. It locks us into unhealthy relational reflexes where we can't admit we're wrong or we're always cynical, snippy. Anger is just like that default emotion for us. And so our marriage is, is miserable. Our home life's miserable. It locks us into despair. So we start to believe that things will never get better. It locks us into comparison. So we just scroll and scroll and scroll, believing everybody's life is so much happier than ours. Or it locks us into a pace that is unsustainable. But, but we got something to prove, and the way that I'm going to prove it is with workplace domination. Or it locks us into self-medicating habits with alcohol, with pornography, with something worse. So look, I wonder today, I wonder, where is your darkness? What is your sin? How is your life in chains? Honestly consider this today, please. Because if you choose, and this is the main call to action of the message today. If you want to find peace in an anxious world, you must choose confession over concealment. You must walk out of the darkness into the light. That's where it begins. So where's your darkness? You know, for some of us, most of us probably, it doesn't take us very long to name our sin. If it does, then you're the Pharisee, right? Which is its own kind of sin that you need to wrestle with. But for most of us, we know it's, it's that secret addiction. It's, uh, it's that huge regret. It's the part of your life that, that you just haven't given to God yet because you're just not sure if you believe his way is the best way. So you're holding on to it. 
Maybe it's an emotion you can't get control over. Maybe you gossip a lot or you're just drama. Maybe you're passive aggressive. Maybe you lie and over-exaggerate all the time on social media. Maybe you're negative and ungrateful. Maybe you're lazy. Uh, Maybe somehow you got yourself in financial trouble, even though you shouldn't be. You, You make more than what anyone should need to have a good and comfortable life, but you were trying to keep up with the Joneses. And so you spent and you spent and you spent and you spent and now all of a sudden it's like, uh-oh. But I, I don't know what it is, but, but you know what it is. Your spouse has told you. Your friends have told you. Maybe your body is telling you. Maybe it's about to cost you your job or your marriage or your good name or even your freedom. The first step to overcoming that darkness is confessing it to God and asking for help. Now, yeah, see that hand in the back, go ahead. Uh, Tyler, this sermon is kind of the worst. (laughs) Like this was your plan? You're all sinners, Merry Christmas. Didn't focus group that one, did you, buddy? Well, Jesus ain't done, okay? Y'all know this, Jesus ain't done. There's good news in this passage. You saw it, didn't you? You saw it, he's not done. Because as Jesus diagnoses the darkness within the human heart, he also offers Nicodemus and me and you a way out. He offers an invitation to metaphysical transformation that leads to lasting deliverance. And I want you to accept the invite today. John chapter three Verse three, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, uh, being born again, Jesus goes on to explain, is, uh, is a mighty act of the spirit. And in some ways, it's a mystery. He says, it's like the wind. You can't really explain it, right? but you can harness it. You can harness the wind with a sail. And when you do, you soar. So how do you catch the wind? Well, here's how you catch it. John 3, 16. Have you heard this verse before? (laughs) For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him. The Greek word there is pistuo. It means to trust. Everyone who believes, who trusts in him will not perish, but they'll have eternal life. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. He goes on. The judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light. They refuse to go near the light for fear their sins will be exposed. Anybody afraid today their sins will be exposed? But Jesus says, those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Translation, Jesus himself says, to be born again means you gotta trust in him. And the first step of trust in Jesus isn't tithing. It isn't showing up at church on Sundays. It isn't going out and handing out Christmas invites to all your friends and sharing Jesus with them. I hope you do all those things, but it isn't that. The first step is what? It's trusting him with your sin. That's where a relationship with Jesus begins, out of the darkness into the light. Now, for the nerds in the room, this is what Christians call the doctrine of regeneration. Say regeneration. 
Regeneration is the belief that in a moment, an instantaneous metaphysical interchange to the very inner essence of your soul can happen. That actually cures your human nature. It cures the sickness of sin inside of you. And then it launches the sanctification process, which is lifelong healing from regeneration to sanctification. That's what the salvation moment looks like. Really, regeneration is just a fancy word for, for born again. Jesus says, be born again. I'm going to plant this little seed for you. Throw up the next slide here. On December 31st at 11.59 p.m., on December 31st at 11.59 p.m., in this room right here, I will be in the baptistry. And I just want to welcome anyone who over the course of this series feels like they need deliverance to start the year off in the right way. Uh, we've had a prayer service in this room for New Year's for three years, three or four years in a row now. It's beautiful. People come together. We just sing. We bring in a new year together. We pray. And, uh, and this year, I want to welcome anyone, anyone, to start the new year off even better than singing hymns and praying prayers and toasting sparkling grape juice with your church friends. I want to, I want to welcome you to the baptistry because Scripture describes that moment as the moment of regeneration. You're buried you die to the old Jew and you're pulled up out of the water, risen to walk in newness of life. So would you consider this Christmas giving Jesus a gift? Your heart. Your heart. Because let me tell you something, Jesus makes the most unexpected disciples, doesn't he? Look at Nicodemus. You know how his story plays? In John 3, he's hiding in the dark. But in John 7, we see him boldly defending Jesus in the light among his peers. And then in John 19, we actually see him carrying the body of the crucified Jesus to the tomb, embalming it, preparing it for burial. Church tradition actually suggests that later on he becomes a great follower of Jesus. So I don't know when it happened, but Nicodemus was born again, you see. Jesus makes the most unexpected disciples. Uh, a while back I was at Starbucks and uh, a gentleman came up to, to me, it's from our church, I didn't know him, and he was like, hey, and I was like, hey, how you doing? And I reached out to shake hands with him, he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't shake hands with you. I was like, why? And he goes, well, I hurt my, my hand last night uh, in a bar fight. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> uh, and immediately my mind thought two things. Uh, first, I thought to myself, I was like, I'm just going to tell you that the guys that I know who are scrapping in bars on Tuesday nights aren't usually getting frappes at Starbucks on Wednesday morning. So this is a little confusing for me, but uh, that's okay. This is the second thing I thought. I thought to myself, I like this guy. In fact, I love this guy because he's being honest with his pastor. Being honest. And because of his honesty, not only can we talk about what will make his hand better, but we can talk about what will make his heart better as well. Jesus makes the most unexpected disciples, doesn't he? Mm. So whatever your sin is today, I want you to know, I don't condemn you. I don't know what you've been through. I certainly don't know what God is about to do in your life, maybe today, but I know he wants to do something. Jesus makes the most unexpected disciples. If you'd have known me 18 years ago, I promise you, you would not have said, well, that young man right there, he looks like he's on the track to ministry. No, 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 no. <laughs> but I was born again. And Jesus makes the most unexpected disciples the most unexpected ones. 
So look, anyone out there wearing a veneer of religiosity today like Nicodemus, pretending you got it all together? Anyone in here hiding something in the darkness, but it's eating you alive? Anyone in here whose bad decisions have turned into bad habits and it's now locked you into a bad life? Here's the main point of this message again. If you want to find peace in an anxious world, you must choose confession over concealment. You gotta step out the darkness and into the light. Look, you can, you can change the meaning around sin all you want to. You can blame it, you can downplay it, you can change the verbiage around it. But here's what you can't change, the experience of it. So while people may pretend like it's not real or it's not that bad, what they eventually experience is a tremendous amount of guilt and shame and emptiness and captivity. And that is why Jesus is such good news. He gives you an in-your-face, unapologetic diagnosis of what's killing you, which is what a good doctor does. And then he prescribes the only solution. And I'm telling you what, when your honesty collides with the mercy of Christ, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Deliverance happens. You're born again. So, hey, go for it. Put up your decorations this year before Thanksgiving. Hang the lights. Put on a Santa hat. Put a Christmas sweater on your dog. Roast chestnuts on an open fire. Drink peppermint mochas out of a little mug with one of them knit little sweaters on it. I know how you do. Blast Mariah. Watch every Hallmark Christmas movie there is. Spoiler alert, they're all the same. <laughs> but I'll tell you this, at the end of the day, that's not what makes Christmas merry. It's all just ornamentation if you're dead inside. At best, it is a shallow, momentary escape until January hits and the darkness comes rushing back in. None of it has any real power to cure the human heart or heal our personal sin, but Jesus does. John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness. The darkness can never extinguish it. And to receive that light, you don't have to whip yourself up in a charismatic frenzy. You don't have to like do a bunch of good things to make up for your past. All you gotta do is one thing, trust in Jesus, trust in him. And you know where trust begins, right? Trust begins with you trusting him with your sin. So uh, here's what I'm gonna do. Right now, I'm gonna ask Lindsay to come on stage with some of the worship team, and she's gonna lead an invitation, an invitation to confession. And then we're gonna take communion and sing a couple other songs. I don't want you to leave. I want you to be in this moment. This is a moment of worship and confession. Our worship team wrote this confession song for this moment and for you. Some of your lives are gonna be changed forever starting now. So I want everybody in this moment to close your eyes and, uh, and as it, we're singing, I want you to just say, God, I confess this to you and just, just confess it. And for some of you, if you feel so led, I want you to make the decision to be baptized this Christmas. And for even others of you, if you wanna make this a public moment of confession, ain't nothing wrong with that. The rugs are open, the pillows are here. There's something special about coming before God among your people and in church. By the way, you don't have to be ashamed about it because guess what? The line of good and evil goes through every human heart. So ain't nothing different about you 
than anyone else. So I want to encourage you to move today. One of the things we have normalized in church is not responding when God speaks. And God is always speaking. He's speaking to each of us right now. So I want to encourage you today. Come confess before him.
There's no 